you would please in your Bibles, we'll look at 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. I'd have you stand to honor the word of God, the final words of Peter, written to those saints that are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, modern-day Turkey. These are most likely his final words, as it would be not long after this, that he would depart this world and go and be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him, that is Christ, in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall away from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here, beloved, is our text. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people say, amen. Please be seated. As I've said this morning, we come truly to the end of this uh, study and this series in the letter of Second Peter. Our text, as I just indicated to you, is short and sweet. It is so short and simple that the words are surprisingly overlooked. It's just like it's something tacked on. In my preparation for our consideration of this text, I was amazed at how little treatment is found concerning these 14 words found at the end of this letter. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Short and simple. And yet I would submit to you that these words are every bit as much of scripture as your other favorite passages. They are all to be considered. We confess that we believe in this church the words of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, namely that what? All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture, every word, every communication from God's word is literally God breathed out. We have the translation that the word of God is inspired, and we speak of the inspiration of scripture, which literally means that word inspiration, a breathing in, a breathing in, but a better word than inspiration would be the word expiration. Now, that literally means a breathing out, but we tend to have a bad attitude towards expiration. If we go and we look at the expiration date on the milk and we see that it was a week old, what do we do with it? We don't drink it. We might think of a person having expired, meaning that he's dead, and literally it means he's given up his last breath. He's expired the breath. I think we have this if you'll go ahead and move that along so that they can see that. But in the case of scripture, when we speak of God's word, it is literally a breathing out from God himself, his very words, theonoustos, theo, God, noustos, a, a, a breathing out. So all of scripture, every single word is from God. The be, this being the case, then our very short and simple text is from where? From the mouth of God. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It carries with it the very same promises as the rest of 2 Timothy 3.16, namely that the words that we'll study this morning are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, 
complete, equipped for what? Everything you would ever think to do for Christ. These words give you what you need, not in and of themselves, but as a part, what you need to rightly live for Christ. So then consider this text as being uh, not just some uh, uh, um, courteous salutation, some empty platitude that's tacked on to the, the end because that would portray the very word of God and it would sell ourselves short of what the benefit is of these words to the practice of our Christian lives. If you've been present with us for the past several weeks, you know that Second Peter chapter 3 has largely been concerned about what? The promise of Christ's return. He is coming again. You don't have to believe it. You may think it's a fantasy, but God said it, and so it is. Christ will return. In verses 1 through 10, we've been presented with the certainty of that promise. And in verses 11 through 18, we've been studying through the conduct of those who believe in the certainty of that promise. And beginning with verse 14, we noted that there are four exhortations Peter finishes with, four specific commands. That's what we've been studying. And they coordinate with four aspects of what it means to live in light of the promises of Christ's return. And they are the purity of the promise. It should have an impact on our conduct, the patience of his promise that we know the Lord has delayed his return so that others may be saved, the protection of his promise that as we rest in this promise that Christ is returning, it will keep us from the error of unprincipled men, the productiveness of this promise, which means what? It will grow. If you believe in Christ and you believe he's coming again, you will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the original outline, those first four points that corresponded with those four exhortations. But it failed to capture this final exclamation, this final exclamation. And so I added this final point to the outline above, the praise of his promise that if you believe in Christ and you believe that he's coming again it should result in a life of praise a life that brings glory to God in everything that you do and so let us consider this the praise of his promise again verse 18 <clears throat> we're moving along on the outline <clears throat> to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity amen Now, those little words are what we call a doxology. It's what theologians like to call a doxology. And you ask, what is a doxology? Thank you for asking. A doxology is a theological term used to describe an utterance of praise or a hymn to God that is in response to either an attribute of God, maybe he's holy, maybe he's glorious, whatever attribute or a work of God because he's the God who saves the word itself comes from the Greek word doxa which means praise or honor or glory and the word logia meaning a speaking or an utterance it is the speaking of praise it is the speaking the words of honor it is to bring glory to the one of whom we speak For many years now, we've informed this congregation that it's time to stop fellowshipping. It's time to get into this this room with what we hear are the familiar words of what we call what? The doxology. And so we hear these words. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, what that is, that's a church-made doxology. The church made that one. Some brilliant uh, songwriter wrote those words and put it to a tune, and so we call that a liturgical doxology. I know you're just dying to know all these terms, right? But in the Old and New Testament, we find not just ones that were made up by the church. We find scriptural doxologies, actual statements of scripture that fulfill this this term of being a doxology, and all of those doxologies are literally God-breathed. They come from the mouth of God. 
So consider Psalm 113, verse 1, that says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. It's a doxology. In Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 through 4, we find Moses giving this doxology, praising God, saying, Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. In Psalm 41, verse 13, we read, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And amen sounds a little bit like maybe Peter had something like this in mind. At the end of uh, a song praising God for all that he had done for Israel, First Chronicles 16.36 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised or gave glory to God. Well, those are some Old Testament doxologies, and that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Let me share with you some New Testament doxologies. In Romans eleven thirty six, with reference to God the Father, we read this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. In Ephesians 3.21, again with reference to God the Father, we read, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, and we have a song called Immortal, Invisible, a hymn that we sing that's based off of this doxology. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You're sensing a trend here? There are so many more, but we have this pattern that a doxology is a very short hymn of praise to God. And we come to the end of Peter's letter, and guess what Peter blesses us with? A doxology. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so I'd like us to consider five truths that we might glean from Peter's closing doxology. And the first is to consider the person, the person of praise. There is something that ought to stand out to us. If you were to review the Old Testament doxologies and you were to go through all of the New Testament doxologies, you might miss something that uh, stands out about Peter's doxology here. By and large, biblical doxologies are directed to God the Father. Biblical doxologies generally are directed to God the Father. And here Peter writes, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity, amen. And so the question becomes for us, to whom is Peter referring in this particular doxology? Well, the, easy, the answer is easy to ascertain, is it not? We simply refer to whom Peter was just speaking. And what do you find just before the doxology? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to him be the glory. And so it's very clear that Peter is speaking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. It is clearly ascribed to him, but why is this so significant? Beloved, this is the only New Testament doxology that is unquestionably referring to Christ and giving him the glory. This exclamation of Peter is nothing short then of a call to believers to worship and adore Christ for who he truly is. But then the question becomes, who is Jesus truly? Well, we have a very astute group here. You know who Jesus is, right? Well, what did Peter have to say about Jesus? Well, I would like you to look with me at the very first verse again. We've been in this first verse many times, but, what, who, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, but who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up, and here Peter is piping up again, and he's answering the question, this is who we, who are of the same faith, believe 
about our Lord Jesus Christ, Simon, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, and who is he? Jesus Christ. Peter begins this letter affirming the absolute deity of Jesus Christ. He speaks of him in verse 1 as both God and Savior. And now he ends this letter by the use of a doxology, which is generally used to ascribe glory to God the Father. Only now he's using it to bring glory to whom? To the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is our God and he is our Savior. So do you see what Peter has done? He starts with an affirmation of the deity of Christ, and he ends with an affirmation of the deity of Christ. He speaks to us that Jesus is not simply man and only man, although truly man, but he is truly and fully God. John Calvin, the great reformer, said of 2 Peter 3.18, and I quote, this is a remarkable passage to prove the deity of Christ, for what is said cannot belong to any but to God alone, unquote. This call for glory to belong to Christ reveals that Peter regarded Jesus, the one for whom that for, uh, with whom he had lived for three years to be fully God, equal in honor, equal in glory, equal in praise, equal in adoration, equal in majesty to God the Father. Whatever praise or glory is to be given to God, such praise and glory is to be rendered to Christ. In John 5, verses 22 and 23, Jesus said it this way. John 5, 22 and 23 for not even the Father judges anyone, but he, the Father, has given all judgment to the Son. Why? So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. That is making an equivalent statement that to honor the Father is to honor the Son, and to honor the Son is to honor the Father. He says this, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Beloved, what makes this doxology of Peter remarkable and perhaps scandalous, yes, scandalous, is that for any Jew who read this phrase, they would have undoubtedly realized instantaneously what Peter was saying, and they would have been confronted with either acknowledging Jesus is God or they would have to proclaim Peter as a heretic. For a Jew who is committed to the truth of Scripture, the words of Isaiah 42.8 would have ever been present in his mind. And it says this, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my what? My glory to another. No one else is worthy of the glory that belongs to me, says Yahweh. So to say to Christ be the glory is to say that Christ is Yahweh. You see that? And I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. So when Peter addresses this doxology to him, it is to Christ, and it's being used by Peter to express under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is to be understood about Christ that he is truly God. And while we are considering Peter's reflection on the deity of Christ, let me remind you of how even Peter's, again, opening words of Second Peter are forcing this reflection upon us that Jesus is God. Remember that in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we read it just a moment ago, Peter not only refers to him now as the one who receives glory, but he referred to Jesus as being what? Our God and our Savior. Now consider the words of Isaiah 43, verses 10 and 11. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there, is, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am Yahweh, and there is no Savior beside me. If you have the Jehovah's Witness come to your home, you might want to have some of these verses handy. Jesus is not a little g God created after the fact. There are no other gods. There are no other savior except 
Isaiah 50, 45, verse 21 says something similar. Declare and draw near with uh, Declare and draw near with your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has made this herd from of old? And who has long since declared it? Is it not I, Yahweh? And there is no other, what? God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none, no God, no Savior except me, Yahweh. And now Peter comes along and says that we're those of the same faith by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no God, there is no Savior besides Yahweh, and Yahweh the Lord does not share his glory with another, and Peter has declared Jesus to be both God and Savior as well as the recipient of all glory. All of this is a clear testimony for us of who Jesus Christ is, truly God, truly the beloved Son of God in whom the Father is well pleased. To him, to our Lord Jesus Christ, this letter is about him. You are to read these pages and not inject yourself. You are to read them and to see Christ. It speaks about him. It focuses our attention on him. There is no one else to look to. There is no one else to trust in. There is no one else to lean on. To quote those very familiar words of Spurgeon. You all love this one, right? If Christ be anything, he must be everything. There's a less familiar quote for us by Spurgeon, who was thinking of this very phrase at the same time. And he said it again this way. He said, if Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. To him be the glory. Peter is making an exclamation. He is not giving you an exhortation. He's telling you like it is. He's telling you what you need to hear to him to Christ alone is of whom I speak and of whom you must seek, says Peter. To him, to Christ is to be our gaze. Beloved, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that's to cause us to get our eyes off of ourselves and to focus them and fix them on Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work is to help you get your eyes off of yourself and to fix them on Jesus. But we have an enemy, and our enemy, the devil, his work is to get your focus upon yourself. He wants you to see you in your circumstances and to overwhelm you with what you are and what you're not and what you can't do. The accuser of the brethren constantly insinuates that our sins are too great to be forgiven. Jesus is greater than your sins. The accuser says that our faith is too little to be saved, and yet it's God who grants you faith. It is the devil that tells us our repentance is too pathetic for God to hear, that our resolve is too small of which to lay hold of Jesus Christ. Those are all thoughts about self, not about Christ. Beloved, we will never find comfort and never find assurance when we look to self. So the Holy Spirit works in us, a looking away from self, reminding us that we are nothing in ourselves, and to pick up this exclamation to him, to Christ, to Christ alone. The Holy Spirit works that in us, that to Christ he becomes our all in all. We must remember that it is not our hold of Christ that saves us. It is not our delight in Christ that delivers us. Christ alone saves. It is, not, it is the work of Christ. It is the blood of Christ. It is the resolve of Christ and Christ alone that delivers us from our sins. So we must not look at it as though we are laying hold of Christ. But what scripture declares is that Christ has laid hold of us. And he has granted us everything necessary for life 
and for godliness. We must not look to our faith as that which saves us. Does that sound heretical? We must not look to our faith as that which saves us, but to Jesus, who according to Hebrews 12.2, is the author and finisher of our faith. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Christ and Christ alone. We will not find comfort by trusting in our prayers. We will not find comfort in our works. We will not find comfort in our, prayer, in, in our feelings. It is who Jesus is, not what we are, that will bring rest to our weary souls. If we should overcome the schemes of the devils, if we should overcome the deceptions of false teachers, if we would overcome the sins that so easily entangle and ensnare us, we must be fixing our eyes upon Jesus. We must keep our eyes on him alone. We must look to his life in the Gospels. We must look to his sufferings and his death. We must look to his glories. We must look to his intercession. And we must look, according to Peter, to his promised return. He is coming, and the question is, are you ready for his coming? We must have our gaze upon him when we wake up in the morning and when we lie down at night. We must not let anything become, uh, come between ourselves and our view of Christ, a higher view of Christ. Whatever your view of Christ is today, pray God, make it grander, make it bigger. Not one of us has the full view of Christ that we ought. And so, to borrow from Paul, excel. Still more. And Peter comes along and says in all of this, to him and to him alone, you are to place your trust, your affections, your hopes, your salvation to Christ be the glory. It is all to him, the person of praise. This brings us to our second point, the point of praise. What's the point? I've already been speaking of this, but the point or aim of everything is that Jesus Christ be praised, that Jesus Christ be glorified. In chapter 1, our being granted everything necessary for life and godliness, our pursuit of the moral excellencies of Christ is not so that we can say, look what I've done, but to do what? To be to Christ's glory. In chapter 2, are being warned against false teachers, and, and, and that warning so that we would not be deceived by them is for what? For Christ's glory, so it doesn't diminish him. In chapter 3, his promised return to punish the wicked and to reward the righteous. Try to say that five times fast. It's all to be what? To his glory. But it is even more specific than such grandiose and broad considerations. We say, it, all of the, my salvation is to be to his glory. The church is to be to his glory. I, I love it. But do you know the writers of scriptures, they get nitpicky. What do you mean by nitpicky? I'm going to get down to the very nitty-gritty details of your life. It is not just your salvation in general. It is your life, your thoughts, your attitudes specifically. All of them are to be what? To the glory of him who has saved you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, we are called, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? To the glory of God. Let me remind you that there is nothing more routine. There's nothing more mundane. Sometimes, depending on where you go to dinner, nothing more glorious to eat, right? But whatever you do, you eat and drink, you do it every day. And the believer's life is not only to bring glory then in the grand things, these things that we say, well, I'm coming to church and we say, praise God for my salvation. You know what would be great to hear? I want to hear you praise God and give him glory for the little things because we miss the little things. We forget that this is not about us, it's about him. 
And even the little things that you might otherwise forget, you are called to do what? Whether then, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You are to bring glory to God in the everyday things. You are to bring glory to God when you wake up and you go brush your teeth. You are to bring glory to God as you go to work and in the work you do. You are to bring glory to God in every interaction, every relationship that you have. You are to bring glory to God. It is all to be that which reflects and prays and brings glory to him, to Christ. But again, what does it mean to him be the glory? Literally in the Greek, it reads to him, be, to him glory. To him glory. Anything that's glorious, anything that's wonderful, anything that's delightful, to him glory. We've already told you that the Greek word for uh, glory is doxa. It means the praise and honor and glory. It speaks of the greatness and the splendor of God. It means recognizing and acknowledging what makes God truly God, or in this case, it means to reveal what Christ is as God. To glorify God is to acknowledge his greatness and splendor and then praise him for it. It is to direct every accolade. It is to give every adoration. It is to give him every thanksgiving and gratitude, all as an act of worship to him who alone is worthy. To him be the glory. By way of application, I'm going to have you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles. We don't do a lot of New Old Testament looks from the pulpit here, but would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 16? And what I'd like to do here, first providing some, um, some context, the David has just had the Ark of the Covenant brought into the tent, the tabernacle. It's a, a glorious celebration. The tabernacle has finally been uh, put up in the, in the, in the uh, Ark of the Covenants being brought, and David assigns one of the musicians, a man by the name of Asaph, with the task of giving thanks to the Lord. And we read of this particular praise to God in 1 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 8. So 1 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 8, and follow along as I read for you. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgment of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, son of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. He also confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only a few in number, very few, and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation, and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do, and do my prophets no harm. Verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. 
Then the trees of the forest will sing, before, sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Verse 35, then say, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Then all the people said, amen, and praised the Lord. Take a lifetime to get through all of that. But I tell you, these words are given to us to instruct us what it means to bring glory to the Lord. And let me just quickly run through them with you. In verse 8, we're told to give thanks to the Lord because that brings him glory. We're told again in verse 8 to make known his deeds, those displays of his greatness, of his name. That brings him glory. We're to tell all the nations of what God has done. That brings him glory. We're to sing to the Lord. It brings him glory. We are to glory in the Lord, meaning we are to boast in him and boast in his name. We're to be glad in him, to seek out the Lord and trust in his strength because it brings him glory. Remember, we're to remember all of the Lord's wonderful deeds. We are to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength because it is his due. And by the way, to ascribe is to think of as belonging to someone. It is the uh, 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 quality or characteristic. Thus, we regard the Lord as possessing glory and strength, and so we ascribe it to him. We're to bring an offering, it says in verse 29. In the time that this was written, the offerings were in accordance with the law of Moses and usually involved a, an animal sacrifice or the bringing of flour or oil or something along those lines. Today, though, in the words of Romans 12:1, what is the offering? We are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. It is our spiritual service of worship. Does your body bring glory to God? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. That is bringing him glory. Verse 29, we are to worship the Lord. Verse 34, we are to give thanks to God for, the, for his goodness and his love. And in verse 35, we cry out to God for our very salvation. Beloved, we would do well to pause and to remember what Christ has done to save us and to sing to him a new song. And to tell others what he has accomplished on our behalf. To reflect on how he has blessed our lives in countless ways. If you were to begin right now, if we had you stand up, do you think you could think of more than three ways in which God has, uh, Christ has blessed you? Do you think you could come up with ten or twelve? I think given enough time, you would just have to keep going on and on and on. Why do I ask you to do that? Because when you will stop and pause and consider all that Christ has done for you and to count every blessing he's brought into your life, you will be inclined to bring him glory. To him be the glory. And that brings us to our third consideration. When are we to bring him glory? When? And so... Our third point is the practice of praise. We read in our text, to him be the glory both now. Remember that this is not given as a command. It's a statement. It's not commanding you to give him glory. It's simply expecting that this is already true. Peter is stating that which is true and what ought to be true then of every believer. All glory is to him and all your glorifying him is to take place when? Now, it is to take place in this very instant, and then in the very next instant, and the one after that. Whatever your now is, that is the time to glorify Christ. And while Jesus is glorified, whether or not we choose to do this, there is yet this expectation that we who are his, for 
those whom he has shed his blood, we are to live in such a way in this moment, even as you're listening to these words, I would ask you, are you saying, God, help me glorify you in my listening? You are to glorify him now. Peter makes mention of this bringing glory to God in Christ now. And let me just give you this by way of example. You say, well, how am I supposed to do this right now? Well, look with me at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Interesting passage here. I think it speaks to us of uh, this now practice. No, notice what Peter writes. As each one, this is in the church, if you are a believer in Christ, to each one, as each one has received a special gift, a spiritual gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be what? Glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, what are these special gifts? Well, they're spiritual gifts, and spiritual gifts are endowments given by the Holy Spirit to every single believer for the common good of the body, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. They are to be used not tomorrow exclusively, not sometime down the road. They're to be used when? Now. They are to be used now, that God may be glorified now, that Christ might be glorified now. How is God glorified according to this verse? He is glorified through Jesus Christ. Well, what does that look like? As beloved, as we seek to love and honor and serve Christ, we do so by loving and serving his people. And when you do that, you're bringing glory to Christ. And when you bring glory to Christ, you glorify the Father. To serve one another in the church is to serve the Lord Jesus, and to serve the Lord Jesus is to glorify him, and to glorify the Lord Jesus glorifies the Father, and you do that every time you serve. Whoever speaks, what am I trying to do right now from this pulpit? I'm trying to serve you, which brings Jesus glory, which in turn glorifies the Father. And whoever serves is to do so in the strength which God supplies so that God is glorified. You're serving the body. So those of you that got here early and were serving the body, you were not just doing something that filled the, the people with hot coffee and a donut. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You're bringing him glory, and in turn that brings glory to God the Father. We do that right now and this brings us to the fourth consideration one that also deals with this question of when do we glorify God it might answer the question like do I ever get a break there every time I get to say okay time out I'm done glorifying God time out I'm done bringing glory to Jesus well we read of the fourth point the perpetuity of the praise it's a fun word to say our text reads, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, literally to the forever age. This unique saying appears to be linked with actually the day of the Lord when this present age dissolves into what we call eternity. And we can't get our heads wrapped around eternity. There's no time in eternity. But when after the destruction of this present sinful heavens and, and the earth gives way to, as we read in verse 13 of 2 Peter 3, the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, that seems to be what Peter has in mind here. And when does the new heavens and the new earth end? Some of you aren't certain about the answer to this question. When does the new heaven and the new earth end? Never. So you're going to start praising him and bringing him glory now, and you're going to do it even into the introduction of the day of eternity, and then how long does that last? Forever and forever and forever. It never ends. I heard an amen. Thus glory will be rendered unto Christ for perpetuity. We, the redeemed, not only offer our service and worship now, but also into eternity. Christ is, according to Peter, and must always receive the glory. 
we are joining with Thomas when we declare now and forever, my Lord and my God. And we will do that into eternity's age, an age without end. Beloved, eternity will be crafted entirely of ceaseless praises unto Christ. It'll be this string of forever praises, forever honor, forever glory to Christ. We cannot count the days of eternity because there are no days. There is simply forever and ever, and forever and ever, these words will ring in our ears to him be the glory. I love that. At no time will his praises cease. At no time will there be a, a, a spiritual timeout. The blood of Christ will forever be praised. The cross of Christ will forever be renowned. The resurrection of Christ forever celebrated. As those who will be made immortal and eternal, we will proclaim this glory of Christ for how long? Forever and ever. We read of this in Revelation chapter 5. Let me read this passage for you. Revelation 5, I'm going to begin in verse 6 to set the stage here for you. John's writing, and he said, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing. Who were we speaking of? Jesus Christ. A lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, the lamb, came and took the book out of the hand of him who sat on the throne from God the Father. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Where do your prayers go? <laughs> Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads and myriads. And if you don't know what that is, it's thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, listen, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But Yahweh doesn't share his glory with another. So this is Yahweh himself. Verse 13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion for how long? Forever and ever. Beloved, I trust that that doesn't seem like a dull thing to you. I trust that you are in anticipation of a time when you will join with the angels of heaven and the company of all the redeemed from all the ages. And you will have the opportunity to ascribe all glory to Christ. What a worship service that will be. But let me not ask you about what you are anticipating. Because that will happen. But for us today, the question is, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Are you ascribing all glory to Jesus now? Peter says to him, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. 
Our prayer must be daily this, Lord, by your grace, enable me this day to bring you glory in all that I do. Do you pray that prayer? Don't just pray it in the morning. You might need to pray it after your first cup of coffee. You might need to pray it after you brush your teeth. You may need to pray it as you drive to work. But pray it you ought. I love how Spurgeon put this, and he said this, Lord, I am poor. Help me to glorify thee by contentment. I am sick. Help me to give thee honor by patience. I have talents. Help me to extol thee by spending them for thee. I have time, Lord. Help me redeem it, that I may serve thee. I have a heart to feel, Lord. Let that heart feel no love but thine, and glow with no flame but affection for thee. I have a head to think, Lord. Help me to think of thee and for thee. Thou hast put me in this world for something, Lord. Show me what that is. And help me to work out my life purpose. I cannot do much, but as the widow put in her two mites, which were all her living, so, Lord, I cast my time and my eternity, too, into thy treasury. I am thine. Take me and enable me to glorify thee now in all that I say, in all that I do, and with all that I have. Amen. Beloved, to bring, let us bring glory to Christ now, a, a, a glory that we carry with us into eternity. And this brings us to our final point, what I've called the pleasure of praise. The pleasure of praise. Perhaps if I've done my job well this morning, you've memorized the second half of this verse, right? To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And if you don't have it memorized, you should have the last word ready. Amen. Sometimes we do things as part of our Christian worship, do we not? Not so much, uh, uh, not so much with a lot of thought, but just out of routine. It's just what we, we always do it. Generally speaking, what does everyone say after the preacher prays and says amen? Amen. You almost do it. It's, it's like instinctive. You just do it. And then if I want to prompt you, I say, and all God's people say, We get that, by the way, from 1 Chronicles 16.36. Did you catch that? And all God's people say amen. The word amen in the Greek sounds like this. Amen. You all know a Greek word. Amen, right? What does it mean? It means simply this. Verily, truly, so be it, let it be. You could even translate it as I agree. Peter closes this letter with amen. And it seems reasonable to me that he expected his readers to respond with amen. That is, this is all true. Everything you've written, Peter, is, is what we agree to. So let it be. It is our pleasure. It is our delight to have the faith, a faith of the same kind as the apostles themselves, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be familiar with a news commentator who's left this earth by the name of Paul Harvey. And he had a segment that I always enjoyed listening to as a younger guy entitled, The Rest of the Story. Having heard or known something of a person or event, Paul Harvey would then go on to tell you something else that maybe you hadn't heard. And so he would say, and now the rest of the story. As we close Second Peter, allow me to play the role of Paul Harvey for a moment. And now the rest of the story. Having completed this, his last letter, Peter puts down his pen. It would be shortly after this, I don't know exactly how long, but shortly after this, he might get an unexpected knock at the door 
as part of Nero, uh, Emperor Nero's decree against Christians, they were seeking out the Christians. Peter was found, and he was arrested, and he was tried, and he was sentenced to death. And they told him he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. And Peter cried out, no, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as that which my Lord and Savior died. Well, the Roman officials obliged him. They still crucified him. But according to what we know, they crucified him upside down. When Peter departed from this world, he was, in the words of 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body, but at home. We always say present with the Lord. The text says at home with the Lord. I obviously do not know what such a moment is like as that moment is reserved for those who fall asleep in the Lord Jesus. But I cannot help but imagine that upon opening his eyes for the first time, And looking at nothing else but the face of his Savior, he exclaimed, perhaps, to him be the glory, both now and to eternity's day. And then, without any further prompting, because at that moment I would assume all he's consumed with is Christ, he may have heard the rest of the heavenly host say, amen, amen. Beloved, how much do you owe the Lord? Has he ever done anything for you? Has he forgiven your sins, which are many? Has he covered you with a robe of his own righteousness? Has he set your feet upon the rock? Has he established your comings and your goings? I love this. Has he prepared heaven for you? And has he prepared you for heaven? Has he written your name in his book of life? Has he given you countless blessings? Has he laid up for you a store of mercies which I has not seen nor ear heard. Because if you can say yes to those things, then I say to you, do something for Jesus worthy of his love. Give not a mere wordy offering to a dying Savior. When, how you feel when your master comes How will you feel when your master comes if you have to confess, I did nothing for him? All you've done is kept your love shut up like a stagnant pool. For the glory of Christ, let your love for him give wings to your feet of service. Let your love for him strengthen your arms for his labors. Fix yourself on Christ with a a constancy, a consistency that is not to be shaken, a resolve to glorify him with a determination that is not to be turned aside and pressing on with enthusiasm, never growing weary. Let us put on display the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and let the amen sound from his people again. Gladly, for I, we adore him. All glory be to Christ, our King. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a glorious God and that you have granted to us, given to us a glorious Savior and that for those who know you, there should be no, nothing that stops us from ascribing glory to him who is worthy. Father God, there may be those among us this morning, those listening and paying attention online that have yet to ascribe glory to God because they do not know Christ as the king of glory and the author of salvation. 
pray that today you would open their eyes to behold Christ for who he is, a Savior who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will take care of the burden of your soul. I will forgive the sin that's, that has rendered you as dead, and I will make you alive so that you might know me, that you might love me, that you might serve me. Pray, Father God, that you would bring salvation to those who need to know what salvation is. And Father, for those of us who walk with you, may our lives increasingly become a reflection of what we say with our mouths, but may it be true of all of our lives. To him be the glory, both now and to eternity's day.